Hello, this is Kirsten Nusruber, and today we'll be mapping aluminum on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Kirsten Nusgruber. A cancer nutrition expert, author, and speaker, Kirsten is passionate about helping people get out of cancer overwhelm by teaching them how to reclaim their lives. A two-time cancer survivor herself, she learned firsthand the importance of an integrative and functional medicine approach to one's health to facilitate true healing. Kirsten is the best-selling author of Confessions of a Cancer Conqueror, My Five-Step Process to Transform Your Relationship with Cancer, and the creator of First Steps to Take Control of Your Cancer Care. Kirsten is part of the Chill Cove Clinic, as well as the team at Valley Integrative Pharmacy, and she also serves on the board of directors at the National Association of Nutrition Professionals. I can't wait to get started and share Kirsten's wisdom with you now. Kirsten, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm thrilled to have you here. Hello, Andrea. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. We are talking today about aluminum, and I'm wondering if we could first identify what it is and why we should be concerned about it from a health perspective. Such a valid question. And I guess to start it off with a bang, people are generally afraid of aluminum mm -hmm. because we hear about products that contain aluminum, particularly aluminum containing deodorants and antiperspirants. And do they contribute to cancer? Aluminum is a metal. It's a natural yes. metal, which is pretty abundant on Earth. Sometimes we just need to keep the perspective that it's actually a natural component. It's very abundant in the Earth's surface. It occurs naturally in many rocks. And we just have to realize that just because it may be associated with health issues, it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole thing just needs to be eradicated from Earth. We just have to understand really also that aluminum comes in different forms, just like we have certain supplements like magnesium comes in certain forms as well. And so does aluminum as well. And that makes a difference. Also how it is used in wherever all the sources where we find it. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that too. So, you know, aluminum is just not aluminum. It's just an umbrella term for many different parts of this metal. It's just that obviously, as with many other things in this modern day and world, when we tax our bodies so much and it struggles to detoxify and we add to the toxic burden, that's really when the trouble happens. Right. So we don't want to vilify this natural occurring substance. Is there anything it does good for the body? I mean, if you think about it, natural aluminum minerals are used actually in water purification. Mm. You know, bentonite, zeolite actually contains aluminum. It has its positive uses. I came across a study which looked at how abundant is it around us. And they were saying, you know, if you just test for dust, like road dust, you probably will find aluminum in it. And that's from rock sediment, not because it was from some toxic man-made exposure, but actually just natural occurring aluminum. And that aluminum isn't necessarily gonna accumulate and make us toxic. 
So if we think about toxins and we think about aluminum as a toxic substance and we head over to the environmental inputs, let's first ground on where our clients and patients will be uh, encountering aluminum, some of which you already mentioned, but maybe we haven't grounded them all. First, we've got skincare, like you said, cooking pots, possibly dirt on the road, what else? Let's break it down and think about the different forms of aluminum. So we have uh, aluminum powders. They're used as pigments and we find them in paints. Yes. We find them in fuel additives, explosives as well, propellants too. Then we have aluminum oxides and they are used as food additives. So Mm. we find them in our food, we ingest them, leached into our food. But they're also used in ceramics, abrasives, paper even, light bulbs, right? So the same aluminum oxide used in food editors used in these things as well. We have aluminum hydroxide. That's mainly used in the pharmaceutical and personal care products. So we find them in antacids, for example, in certain buffered medications like aspirin, in vaccines, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're used also in preservatives, in fillers, coloring agents, anti-caking agents, Mm -hmm. emulsifiers, baking powders, and even in some soy-based infant formulas. I came across that as well. So that's a bit scary as well. Now that's aluminum hydroxide. Other things like composite dental fillings as well, ceramic or porcelain crowns. Here we are moving away from mercury teeth fillings and we still have to be a bit careful about what else we put into our teeth. And does it outweigh each other? I don't know. I'd love to see a study on that. Mercury fillings compared to composite fillings. How how much exposure do we get? And in which body is it? Like what's that person's allostatic load of that metal? Yes, exactly. In food, I mean, we can find it in certain processed foods, apparently sliced cheese. (laughs) You know, when it's prepackaged like that can be high in that soft drink and beer cans in the cans itself that can leach into the product. And, you know, you hear about acidic food can, you know, that comes into contact with aluminum uh, pots or even aluminum foil can leach into it. But even alkaline foods, I came across studies that even indicated that even alkaline foods can cause aluminum to leach out. So, you know, we're not really safe just focusing on aluminum foods. I mean, you know, aluminum foil, for example, I just don't use it. Let's find other ways when you consult with your clients to try and help them to make better choices here. Vaccines. I know we have this raging controversy going on in New York right now. Right. But found in there. And then I guess it's the type of exposure too. I mean, we can have exposure through the nasal cavity and that of course means it can enter the brain. And through deodorants we spray or other cosmetics that we spray, of course, industrial pollution, people working in the industries, car exhausts, tobacco smoke, even fireworks are on that list as well. So many things. So when we go into the body and we think about the injustices of all these exposures that we might have, is it interfering with the absorption of certain nutrients? What's happening in the GI tract when aluminum is present? First of all, what's interesting is what's the clearance rate when aluminum enters the body? All mm-hmm. right, we look at the half-life. And when it comes to aluminum, it seems to be characterized by multiple half-lives. So it depends where you look at it in the body. So in the lung, they were saying about 100 days. 
brain though and other soft tissue it can be greater than 100 days Mm -hmm. Uh, and in bone when you're looking at it there it can be prolonged in other words more than 100 days Mm -hmm. so it just shows you the different rates of exposure that can sit there what really seems to happen is that it can concentrate mainly in tissues it can accumulate in tissues Mm -hmm. which includes I just mentioned it bone lung even muscles liver and brain it can be absorbed through the gut it can cause some gut lining damage but the problem is really it accumulates slowly lifetime exposure can Mm -hmm. increase that even in minute amounts think about we're looking at just aluminum this is just one of the heavy metals we look at and generally look at a toxic load or heavy metal toxic load we don't just focus on aluminum we focus on other metals as well but when it comes to aluminum we only need very very small amounts to cause or be a contributing factor to neurotoxicity Mm. and they say, you know, that's sufficient just from the dietary intake or the exposure that we get through the foods that I listed early on. And another kind of characteristic of aluminum is that it has different or uses different mechanisms to cross the brain barrier. So there's not just a single pathway, there are multiple pathways that can be used. That is really the defining characteristic of aluminum that, you know, it damages the brain barrier and it can do so through various means. And particularly, and this is important to note too, when it's in combination with other heavy metals such as mercury and generally we are exposed to a couple of them not just to a single one like this like aluminum on its own yeah it's so interesting to think about this from a matrix perspective and to go back to what you were initially talking about with regards to not vilifying the naturally occurring substance and i think what we need to also remember is that the toxicities are going to accumulate not just because of exposure but because of what the body can do with the substance. Yep. In other words, is there enough iron or calcium in the body to yes. offset? So it's interesting. We have to just always go back to the terrain and not say, eek, aluminum, it's horrible. It has to get mm. out of everything. But say, how do we make sure the body can do what it needs to do? And what are the nutrients the body needs to function well so that yes. it can tolerate the exposure. Am I correct with that? Is it iron and calcium? Are there other factors? I've read about vitamin D and parathyroid hormone and even the pH. Like, are there things that help us to balance those exposures? Good question here. Yes, of course. I mean, we need to look at how do we clear it? Yes. <laughs> That's the problem. So yes, it can accumulate. That's the one danger. And we also know it can accumulate more in certain people than in others. So then we move into this area of detoxification. What prevents us from being able to detoxify well enough? And how does aluminum actually get excreted? And it mainly gets excreted in the urine via the kidneys. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at kidney health, kidney support here. It also gets excreted in bile, but that's only about 2%. So mainly we're looking at kidney support, kidney health, and the nutrients that feed into that. And then, of course, what is the other load that the body has to deal with? What is the body burden, the total body burden? Of course, looking at nutritional deficiencies is the baseline in any case. But we also know if we have been exposed or there has been a lifetime exposure to heavy metals, you know, we need to look at how do we get rid of them and how is the body's own ability to detoxify clarified, right? So if I can give you a personal example, because having been diagnosed with cancer twice, you kind of look at everything. What else can I do to support the body, to reduce the burden, to make it be able to cope on its own? So obviously I delved into the area of heavy metal toxicity 
then we look at, all right, why am I not detoxifying it better, right? And uh, this goes into the genetic testing that I did, finding out that I'm a heterozygous for the MTHFR mutation, then others as well, other detoxifying, I'm compromised in that area. So I have to look at that. I have to understand that. And then I look at the fact, all right, based with that knowledge that I have there, I then look at, I regularly check for micronutrient deficiencies, understanding why I I struggle with certain micronutrient deficiencies, even though I'm really eating as clean and as whole foods oriented as I possibly could. Yes. But even with that doesn't guarantee that I don't have micronutrient deficiencies because of the SNPs that are activated some of them are activated by me why are they activated how do i know that well i see it yes (laughs) i know how i'm living i know how i'm eating i know which high grade supplements i'm taking and i'm still struggling like this right so that's the kind of data that i use without driving myself crazy but understanding that's kind of the baseline that i need to look at and then slowly but surely moving into this detoxifying the heavy metals, including whatever comes up for me, lead, mercury, aluminum, and some of the others too, and understanding too. And I think this is important that this is a process. Yes. This is not something that we discover and go, great, I have this heavy metal burden. I need to detoxify. Here's the protocol and boom, they're going to be out. Exactly. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah. So important what you're talking about, Kirsten, because it really is this full body systems approach. It's this idea of understanding that everything's working in concert. Everything is shaking hands with something else. I love that you brought up the kidneys in relation to detoxification. I think it's often overlooked as an area that we need to support. If we move quickly to the right side of the matrix and the skills section, when we're thinking about aluminum in particular, through this lens of processing and detoxifying our exposures, what about sleep? What about hydration? Is there anything there that you would use as a go-to to support somebody? Just sleep in general. We just yes. know the, the, the <laughs> non-negotiable of sleep. Um, but I think more so it's the exercise movement mm. and sweating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we're focusing here on detox, detoxing from heavy metals, including aluminum, involves some form of detoxification protocol. And here again, I really want to say this, I want to urge the practitioners, and I mean, I'm a board certified nutritionist, I do not consider myself qualified to support any client through a detox protocol. This is really things can happen. And again, I I will refer to personal experience, when you are pulling out metals from your body, and you're trying to pull them out, and I don't know if we have time to go into it, but obviously binders, intestinal binders, etc, are important. But things happen. It can loosen all kinds of things and can have all kinds of bodily reactions that can be pretty serious and needs clinical evaluation. I think it's super important because if we think through a tier one, tier two perspective, the three tiers, we have to make sure that the body functions before we introduce the insult of the remedy, right? A lot of people are going to the insult of the remedy before the body can tolerate it. And that's what you're speaking to so beautifully. So thank you. Yes, to get back to the skills, sweating. And that's really where the dry heat infrared sauna is really so, so, so beneficial. If someone has a heavy metal burden, I really urge them to either find an infrared sauna they can use or invest in getting one because you really will be using that a couple of times a week ongoing. And it's going to really, really help the body in clearing 
out the heavy metals and supporting whatever detoxification protocol you're on. Such a, such a crucial step. And again, sorry to say that, but I think it's important to say that. But with personal use for myself and my husband, that's what we found. Um, That made a huge difference when we made that step and got to the infrared sauna and just the body breathes a sigh of relief. Hmm. It gets to a point where you kind of know, I need to go again. Yes. <laughs> you almost feel clogged up and you you become so much more aware of how the body speaks to you and how the body is letting you know, please do this, please support me in other ways than just you know swallowing supplements or eating right or moving, exercising, but do this too. I love that. Such a beautiful note to end on. Thank you, Kirsten, for the work you do and really just bringing us into this way of thinking about heavy metals from a full body systems perspective. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being here. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes music by my son, Gilbert Nakayama, and Carla Schaefer on sound production, along with Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. Plus, you have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can always email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.